If you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 95, Psalm 95. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some under the chairs. We're going to be on page 499. If you want to grab one of those, then you can kind of follow along with where we are in the Psalms. Psalm 95, page 499 in the Black Bibles. Our series is called Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. And we've been challenged to a life of authenticity. Um, The God of the universe tells us that we can be real with Him. He models that for us in the Psalms. And so this kind of breaks through into how we pray with God. We can actually pray honestly uh, before God. We can worship honestly. Um, We have emotional honesty honesty and absolute truth coming together, colliding in the Psalms. Uh, This week we're focusing in on corporate worship or gathered worship as God's people come together as a group and say together as a group we're going to praise God. Uh, And as we've seen this model in the Psalms of honesty and truth, uh, really my thesis is that when we gather together as a people, what we're doing here is is in a sense like large-scale cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, So those of us that have been to counseling, I've been to counseling. Counseling's fine. I'm not saying don't go to counseling. But a lot of the work that we achieve in counseling uh, can be achieved through corporate worship as we come together to remind ourselves of who God is and rewire our hearts according to his truth, where we can come and be honest and be real with him, but also be realigned and and see the vision of of who God is. And so that's this beautiful picture we have in the Psalms. Psalm 95 is a a classical call to worship. So in the church world, a call to worship are places in Scripture that invite us into God's presence. Uh, And so it's often referred to uh, from the Latin venite, which is uh, come in the Latin. So it's like Come on. It's an invitation for us to come before God. Uh, So that's what we've got here in Psalm 95. Um, We see this kind of thing a lot in the Psalms. And what you'll see as you work through the specifics of worship, stuff like singing and praising God and bowing before him, there's this under the hood theme of listening to his voice. And when we listen to him and respond in worship, that's where we find rest. So what we have in the Psalms this morning, this is This is for those of you that don't feel completely at peace. For those of you that are searching for rest. For those of you that are struggling in life, right? Like if you're totally, perfectly joyful and peaceful and everything's perfect in your life, this probably won't help you. But for the rest of us, this is going to be good, okay? This is going to be good. This is going to help us find rest in God's presence. I'm going to start at the end and then we're going to kind of go back and work through it in order. Uh, But I want to start at the end of verse, or in verse 7, about halfway through the psalm. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. So those are some places in Exodus where God's people rebelled against God. Verse 9, When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swear, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. This is a scary warning, but as I said, on the other side of this warning of not entering rest is the promise of when we come to God, we will find rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's the invitation of God to us. Our lives are in turmoil. He says, come to me. You'll find rest in me. Let me pray for us, and we'll look at this in more detail. God, we pray that you would teach us this morning. Uh, we're here. We're, we're coming before you to worship you, to, to hear from your voice. We want to find rest. God, you know that our lives are 
lives of turmoil, that we do have uh, struggles, and uh, we want you to speak to us. We pray that you would give us listening ears and listening hearts, that we would receive what you have to say. We thank you that you invite us, uh, and we pray that you would uh, shape us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I work outside in the yard, I often use these... uh, noise-canceling headphones. Any of y'all ever use that? Like if you've worked with heavy machinery, anybody out there? Some of you? Okay, they're like these big giant earmuffs I put on, and I can wear my iPod inside it, and then I put these on top so I don't damage my ears. My wife has had some hearing loss, so kind of sensitive to that. My son's a rock and roller, so, you know, I'm trying to be aware, um, and I'm trying to take care of my ears as I get older, so I wear these things, and basically I can't hear anything else. I'm closed off to any other voice then. The other day I was working in the yard, we were getting ready to have some friends over and some termites start swarming inside the house. Uh, So kind of an emergency for my wife, so she's coming out to try to get a hold of me, but I can't hear her voice, right? She's calling out to me, but I'm not listening. I'm listening to other voices. I've got the iPod going, I'm listening to theology lectures or some nerdy thing, right? And I can't hear anything she's saying. She has to scream multiple times for me to hear what's going on so I can attend to the emergency that's taking place inside our home. Um, I don't know if that ever happens to y'all, like you invite people over and then termites swarm. Is that kind of how your life goes? Okay. Um, And so I was was thinking about that as I was reading this psalm, just this idea that we we are to hear God's voice. It says at the end of the psalm, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And one of the things that I want you to understand as we look at this is that it's phrased in a conditional way, right? If you hear his voice... Don't harden your heart. But what I want you to understand is that's rhetorical because the scripture makes it very clear that we've heard his voice. So every one of us here are responsible to the voice of God. We've heard his voice. It's very clear in Romans 1 that when we go outside, especially on a gorgeous day like this, but when we go outside, we see that God is real. We hear his voice speaking to us through creation. And so the Psalms again and again call on us to praise the God that made all things. Now, Calvin and others would say that the revelation, the voice of the Scriptures, clarifies things for us, right? So we hear His voice in creation. We still need some clarification, and so the Word can become like glasses, right, that we put on that we can understand better who God is and what He's made. But, but we hear His voice. We, we, don't, we don't have an excuse. It says in Romans 1, we've all heard His voice. So the question is, are we going to come to Him for rest, or are we going to keep the earmuffs on and ignore Him? That, that's really the question for us. Now, the way this works out is that it, it assumes that when we hear his voice, we're going to respond in certain ways. And so I just want to walk us through what that looks like, uh, how historically the people of God have responded to God and said, okay, God, we hear your voice, so we're going to praise you. We hear your voice, so we're going to worship you. So that's what we're going to see a lot of here in Psalm 95. It's going to walk us through some kind of how-tos. What does it look like to worship God? What does it look like to respond to the voice of God? The call to worship. God says, I'm calling you. Come to me. How do we respond then back to him? The first thing that I want us to see in worship is that worship is noisy. Worship is noisy. Okay? Follow me here. If you look at verse 1 through 5, we'll see here that worship is noisy. The first verse establishes this and then it's repeated as well. Verse 1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. So singing is a noise. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So in the ESV version that I'm reading here, it says joyful noise. Most of the other translations use the word uh, joyful shout. Any of you have shout in your translation? Right? Uh, The first definition of this Hebrew word is 
war cry. That's the first definition. The word literally means shout. It means to scream out. We're called to scream and shout in God's presence. And I know those of you that are Anglo like me, that makes you a little uncomfortable, right? Um, You're like, I'm not sure about that, right? Shouldn't worship be stiff and stodgy? No, actually, the Hebrew view vision of worship is that it should be loud, that it should be noisy. Um, And and I just, just to give you the other side of this real quick, we have amplified sound in here. I want you to know we actually have a decibel reader. So if you got, see a guy like walking around with a, you know, like a radioactive reader thing or whatever, that we, we actually test it. So we do care about your hearing and about those things. So we do look at it on the other side of the issue. We try not to damage anybody with the noise, but we do believe that the Scripture calls us to be noisy. The Scripture calls us to be loud in our praise of God. Let's continue to read it here. It says, verse 2, Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise, again that same word, to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So see here, it's uh, reflecting the, the literature of creation. It's reflecting the reality that we see when we go outside that God made all things. He's the creator, so we should respond in praise. That's again and again what we see in scriptures. We should be noisy because God has been noisy and spoken to us in creation. God has forcibly and visibly uh, communicated to us who he is in the world. And our proper response is to respond back to him with shouts of praise, with song, with music. We're to make noise back to him. We're called on to do that. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, research now that shows that that's really therapeutic for us. As I said earlier, I kind of, my view is that corporate worship is a kind of therapy for us. It's a kind of rewiring of our souls and, and making noise back to God is actually good for us. It's good to make noise. It's, it's therapeutic for us. It's helpful for us. A lot of people understand that as they study psychiatry, uh, you know, kind of the foundations of cathartic psychiatry is, is getting things off your chest and speaking stuff back to God. Uh, we definitely see that here throughout uh, the Psalms. We've seen it again and again. We've, we've seen in the Psalms that uh, we can um, be honest with our pain with God, right? We've seen that again and again. We can be honest with our difficulty with God and, and get that off our chest and pray painful things to God and pray hard things to God. But also here, we're seeing positive things. It's good to lead our emotions in positive ways as well. We are to, um, we're to shout these things out to God. I have a picture here of, of a man shouting. Um, if, if you were going to call your kids home for dinner, would you whisper, come home for dinner? Or would you scream and shout to them, right? Which would it be? You're not sure. Okay, that's fine. Quiet bunch today. You need this sermon, right? Um, I'm trying to set up a contrast here that we're supposed to have enthusiasm, right? We're supposed to scream and shout. When I go to my kids' game, I'm going to scream for them. I'm going to shout. I'm going to say, hey, go, you know, hit him or whatever it is, or win or... However that works, depending on the sport, right? Um, I don't say hit them when they're running track, but you, you shout for them, right? You, you scream out to them. You cheer for them. And, and we are supposed to have this kind of noisy bodily response. And, and I think this is challenging for us. First of all, I just want to look at the commands here. Um, twice we're commanded to shout, make a noise. Twice we're commanded to sing here. And twice we're commanded to be joyful. And uh, because of... The majority culture in, in our uh, country, 
is kind of majority Anglo, Northern European. That's, that's my cultural background. I want us to understand that this is hard for a lot of us. And I want us to understand that the, the Hebrew Scriptures challenge our culture in this way. I, I would say our culture is to some degree wrong in this area. We're challenged to be noisy and joyful. I was thinking about this as I was reading some of the commentaries this week. C.S. Lewis, who's this famous genius British uh, literary critic, poet, author, all these things, right? He was just a, a brilliant spokesman for Christianity. He talked about how when you read the Psalms, you're kind of blown away with how joyful and bodily and loud and exuberant they are, right? He's, he's saying this as a Brit that doesn't really go along with his culture. That's, that's kind of culture shock for him. And I read that from a Scottish Presbyterian minister as well, how you read these things in the Psalms, and it's almost kind of embarrassing for some of us. We're like, what? Shout? We don't shout in worship services. That's, you know, that's, that makes me uncomfortable. And so I just want us to understand that, that for a lot of us, for, for those of you that are not of, of that culture, I'm sorry. I just want to apologize to you for how we are sometimes. But for a lot of us, we, we think stodgy is appropriate. And that's not what the Hebrew Scriptures tell us. That's not what the Bible tells us. Stodgy is not the standard, right? Stiff is not the standard. Um, and, and this is hard for some of us. If you've been, if you've been raised in a certain way, it, it's hard for you to be expressive. Um, the, just the expression it takes for me to communicate for you every week, that's about as much as you'll ever get out of me, right? And, like, and then on Mondays, I'm depressed because I've expressed myself so much on Sundays, right? That's, it's not natural to me, but when I come to the Scriptures, I'm challenged to be expressive. And I think the Scriptures say, this is good for us. It's good for us to shout. It's good for us to sing good for us to praise God, right? A lot of you are not musicians. You come in here and you're like, why do we have to sing all these songs? Well, God tells us it's good for us, right? So, so even if, if you can't keep pitch, then focus on the shout verses, right? right? So you may not be so good at the singing, but you can shout still. You can make a joyful noise to God. And that, that's good for us. God, God tells us this rewires us as we do this, as we listen to this, as we pay attention to it. Uh, Ways that we can do this, I think this, this then kind of drills down into our private prayer life too. So I've been talking a lot about just coming together. You know, as a group, we should sing, we should be loud, we should make noise to God. But also privately, I think there's a lot of benefit in speaking our prayers out loud. How many of you, when you pray, your mind wanders sometimes? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, all of us, right? It happens to me all the time. And I have a seminary degree and my mind still wanders, right? It didn't fix it, Okay. Um, but praying out loud sometimes fixes it or writing your prayers, expressing them in other ways. So I'd encourage you just from this, it's calling us to be noisy in God's presence. Make noise, pray out loud to God. It might be weird if you're like walking through the neighborhood and you're praying loudly, right? You might want to do that in a secret prayer closet somewhere, but express yourself out loud. I'd also encourage you to try uh, praying other people's prayers. Just like we come and we sing songs that other people have written and it helps guide our heart, right? That's kind of what the psalms are and that's what other uh, biblical songs that we sing it's other people taking scripture and making it musical for us so we can align our hearts with the scriptures and with god so we sing these things you can also pray the prayers of other people you can pray songs you can pray the psalms from the bible um, you can pray uh, the works of other people uh, some people know there's this book called valley of vision it's like puritan prayers that are really kind of beautiful and poetic a lot of people like to pray through that that's another book i would recommend I wouldn't recommend that you always pray other people's prayers or other psalms, but it helps, it helps guide us, right? It kind of gives us a track to run down. We're, we're called to gather together and sing praise to God. 
And there's kind of a unity when we're singing, right? Because we're singing the same song. So there's something about that that is, again, gathering the people of God together on the same track. And what I want you to see is when we look ahead to the New Testament, it's always community-focused. It's always very community-focused, right? So in the Old Testament, we had um, much more specific instructions about how we would worship, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. In the New Testament, we're still told to make noise and to sing to God, um, but it's much more uh, focused on the community coming together. There's two key passages. One is Ephesians chapter 5, and one is Colossians chapter 3. In both of those places, they talk about how the people of God should sing to each other. I thank God for people that sit behind me in church and sing loudly. That encourages me. That helps me. I, I hope you catch that vision of singing loudly and robustly when we gather together as the people of God. That's the vision of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. It says to admonish one another, like encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So in a sense, you should remember this is not a concert when we gather to worship God, but it's the people of God encouraging each other. So belting it out, whether you're on pitch or not, but singing loudly encourages each other next to you. You should be able to hear each other. You should be able to hear your own voice. You need to sing loudly so that others around you can hear you. That's a way of responding to God's grace. And as I said, I believe it really, it really begins to shape us. That, that's the vision of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. It, it's a way that we admonish one another. It's a way that we encourage one another. It's a way that we're like, come on, you can, you can do it. Just like when you go to a sporting event and you cheer for your team, we're, we're cheering each other on to be faithful and to trust God when we sing loudly with each other. The other thing I want us to see is that worship is humility. Worship is humility. It's, it's a way that we bow before him. There's all this physical language here. As we were in confession earlier in the service, we, I, I knelt. As I said, this kind of gets harder and harder over time. But uh, there's ways physically that we bow ourselves before God. A lot of different postures to do that, right? In, in our culture, oftentimes we'll, we'll put our hands together right? To kind of be like, I'm not working. I'm not doing anything else. I'm going to put my hands together. We teach children this sometimes. I'm going to close my eyes and bow my head. That's just a common cultural way we show submission before God. And there's all these different phrases used to communicate that in the text here. Look at verses six through seven. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So here he uses the illustration of we're sheep, he's a shepherd, but then it gives us specific instructions in verse 6. It says, worship, bow down, kneel. Uh, The word worship uh, in English, the English heritage of that is to ascribe worth to something. That's kind of where the sound of that word comes from, worth-ship. You're ascribing worth to something, right? So there are all these other saviors in the world, all these other gods in the world, other things that we would give worth to, and it's calling us to give worth worth ultimately to God. So that's the general way we think of worship in our language. Uh, But specifically, in both Hebrew and in Greek, it's a physical word. It it means literally bow down. It means to prostrate yourself, to to bow down before a great king, to say, you're king and I'm not. That's what worship means. So worship, bow down, and kneel. They're all three different ways of, of kind of a posture of putting yourself lower than someone else. And so it's important for us to see that in the text, to see that that bodily response is good for us. Again, I think this is therapeutic for us. Sometimes we teach ourselves ideas and we teach our heart by the actions that we take. The, 
the physical routines that we live out shape us and shape our heart, right? Like if you're always walking around like this, hey, look at me, that, that's, you know, you're going to think something weird about somebody like that, right? Whereas if someone kind of, you know, is humble, they, they have a certain posture about them. I'm not saying never stand up straight, but I'm saying there's a posture of humility that we need to carry before God. And there's certain ways to act that out in his presence. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, talks about the way that um, worship in the New Testament is delocalized, right? It's no longer local. It's no longer just stuck in the temple. He says it's also uh, deinstitutionalized, right? There's no longer all this apparatus like in Leviticus and Exodus that says you have to worship in these exact ways. And it's also de-externalized. It's, it's no longer simply external bodily postures, but the heart is much more important. So I want you to see that that is definitely the direction that the New Testament takes worship. New Testament takes this word of bowing and repeatedly applies it to our heart. And so that's, that's important for us to see that. That's important for us to see that posture that we bow before God. But I think it's also good for us to teach ourselves our heart posture by our physical posture. So as we bow before God physically, we're reteaching ourselves what we believe in our hearts. We're reteaching ourselves that we're sheep and he's the shepherd, that we need God to to guide us and direct us, right? Um, It says that in verse 7, he's our God, we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We need God to guide us. He's our king, he's our shepherd. I have a picture here of a shepherd with a bunch of sheep um, those of you that know anything about sheep, you know that sheep are, are very dumb, right? And sheep are uh, dirty. And so we're saying something very uh, humble about ourselves. We're, we're taking on a posture of humility by saying, I'm a sheep and God's a shepherd. Do, do you see that? I hope you see that. We, we always kind of like uh, make it cutesy. Jesus is holding the little fluffy lamb that just had a bath and all that. But the sheep are dirty and sheep are really stupid. And we have to remember that. We're, we're saying before God, God, I'm a sheep, and if it wasn't for you guiding me to good pastures, I'd follow all the other stupid sheep off a cliff. I mean, that, that is the reality of what we're saying. And so we humble ourselves, whether it's through bowing your head, your heart, laying down prostrate, we humble ourselves before God, and we say, God, you're the shepherd. I need you to guide me. And so again, I would say that the physical posture is important. I'd also... I'd also jump in, right, with the New Testament and say it's not just the physical posture. You've got to make sure you're bowing your heart as well. One of the key ways that we do that is by submitting ourselves to God's word. Uh, so just gathering together and saying, God, we want to hear what you have to say. You're our shepherd. We need you to guide, guide us. We want to learn what your word says. That, that's what we do when we gather in corporate worship and, and learn from the Bible. We're saying, I, I want you to guide me, God. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm a dumb sheep, and I, I would just follow all the other sheep off the cliff if you didn't guide me. So we're humbling ourselves when we do that. That's an action of humility. That's an action of worship, saying, God, teach me. Also, we talk about this a lot. You need to gather with, with other people in community and, and look at God's Word together, right? Like in a small group or a class where you study the Bible with other people, where you rub shoulders with other people and listen to what God has to say to you. Listen to His voice in the scriptures, or that can be more informal, just gathering with one battle buddy, and you say, let's memorize some verses together, and let's hold each other accountable, and begin living in submission under it. That's my dream for 
for this community that we would all begin to be in those kinds of relationships and those kinds of postures before the scripture, that we would submit ourselves and humble ourselves to what God has to say. The, the last thing that I want us to see is that worship is trust. And this is kind of where we started uh, the second half of this section. Um, so the second half of verse 7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So what he's referencing here is in Exodus, you can read the stories back there around Exodus 17, but God had miraculously saved his people, right? He had miraculously saved his people. They were without excuse. They had seen God do incredible, crazy, historical, amazing things. They'd seen him do it. And then they shake their fists at God and say, we don't trust you. That's what this is talking about. This is not talking about the random questions that you have. Like, I'm not sure about this. I want to study this some more. I have some doubts. They're talking about you seeing God clearly work in your life and then still saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. I don't believe you're trustworthy. I don't believe you're good. I'm going to trust myself. I trust me more than you, God. That's what they're talking about here. And, and what happened then is that they didn't get to go into the promised land. It says in uh, verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation. Another translation that's not really any more helpful is I was disgusted with that translation. So it's not, not very happy news there. Um, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God's rest was entering into this promised land that he promised them where he would be their God and they would be his people and he would live among them and they would be in a land of milk and honey. You recognize that phrase? Everything would be okay. There'd be no more war. That was the future that they looked forward to. And he's saying here, that generation didn't get to enter in because they didn't trust me. And so that's the, the tension that we have here is either enter into his rest by trusting him or reject him. Say, I don't trust you and we don't enter into his rest. That's the, the tension that's set up here. Uh, in the text. What is your posture before God? Do you trust him? That's the question. The scriptures in the New Testament again and again say God is trustworthy because he's proven that he loves us through Jesus. He sent Jesus for us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. We know we can trust him. We know he's good. Again, we don't, we don't do things to prove ourselves to God, to get him to like us, we, we wake up to his voice and recognize he likes us. He loves us. He took his wrath upon himself on the cross for us. And so that's why we then respond in worship and obedience, because he already has loved us through Christ. So are you hearing that voice? Um, this is what it looks like sometimes when we hear God talking. A woman with fingers in her ears. Sometimes you may have done that yourself. You know, la, 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 I can't hear you. Trying to shut out other voices. This is how I feel sometimes when I have on the earmuffs and I'm doing work in the, in the yard. Um, Romans 1, again, says clearly he's spoken to us. He's spoken to us in creation. He's also spoken to us through his son. He's also spoken to us by sending Jesus to die for us. And so the question is, what is, what is your response going to be? Are you going to listen? Are you going to trust? The, the book of Hebrews is a New Testament book. Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 takes this passage from Psalm 95, and says this is not just about those people missing out on the promised land, but the today, the today, if you hear his voice, 
That's a forever kind of today. That's, that's now. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. But what does it mean to harden your hearts? We, we have this phrase that comes up a lot in Exodus, Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? The ruler of Egypt hardened his heart. And it says in some places, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it says in some places that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does it mean to harden your heart? Um, it, it definitely doesn't mean that God takes an a innocent person and makes them evil. We know that. That's, that's in the scripture. It's clear in, in James. God doesn't lead people into evil, it tells us. We, we know that. I, I think what it means when we look at the overall view of scripture of uh, humanity bowing ourselves up before God, it means that God gives us over to our own strength. God gave Pharaoh over to his own strength. It means a heart that says, I can do this. My heart is strong. The hardening of the heart is the strengthening of the heart. And so we can strengthen our own posture, strengthen our own heart before God and say, I've got this. I don't need you. I can be the God of my own universe. Hebrews 3 and 4, Psalm 95, the whole scripture tells us, don't, don't take that posture with God. You can't do it on your own. You, you need him. You need him. Don't bow up to God. Don't, don't rely on the strength of your own flesh, but trust his heart for you. That's the proper posture before God. And then you can enter his rest. Then you can enter the peace of, of things being the way they're supposed to be. The, the scriptural way this is laid out is in Romans 3.23, it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? None of us has measured up to what God calls on us to be. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the idea is that uh, God knows all of us are sinners, all of us have rebelled, all of us have plugged our ears to some extent, but God comes after us in Jesus. And, and Jesus takes our sins upon himself so that by faith, we can respond to him. We can hear his voice by placing our trust in him. So, I, so I'd ask you this morning, do you hear, do you hear his voice? Because he's speaking. He is speaking. He's speaking to you. He's speaking in creation. He's speaking through Jesus. Do you hear his voice? What's your response? Is your response, no thanks, I can do life on my own? Or is your response, thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for me. Make me new. I, I give up, complete surrender. I bow down to you. I, I trust you. I don't know what it's going to look like. For me, when I gave my life to Christ, it was something like this. It was like, I see that you gave your life for me. I trust you completely. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, even though I know it's probably going to be terrible and I'm going to hate it. But I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me, right? I didn't quite, I trusted him, but I didn't quite fully trust him. And he taught me over time to trust him more and more. Give yourself to him and he'll show you every day that he's trustworthy. One of the ways I want us to think about this is uh, if you're not following him, if you're not going the direction he's asked you to go, then you're not a follower of Christ. If you're not following Christ, you're not a follower of Christ. And so I challenge you to come to this point of hearing his voice and surrendering to him. We're going to finish up our time together through communion. Communion is a way that Christians renew their covenant with God. So I'll invite you, if you know Jesus in this way, maybe for the first time just now you're saying, yeah, I, I trust you, Jesus. I want to follow you. Whatever that looks like, I want to follow you. I'd invite you to take communion with us. This is a way that Christians renew their covenant. They say, Jesus is my food. Jesus is my drink. I can't live without him. That's what we say in communion. So I'd invite you, if you know him in that way, join with us. If you don't, if you still have questions, we're glad you're here. I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about what all this means, but we just ask you not to 
not to join with us in this because it's a family ceremony. I'm going to pray for us. I'll ask the men that are going to help pass out the communion elements to go ahead and come up while I'm praying, uh, but I'll pray and ask God to, uh, to use this in our lives. God, we thank you that you are our life. We thank you that you invite us to yourself. We thank you that you tell us to come to worship you, to enjoy you as the great God, as the real Savior. We pray that you would continue to teach us what that looks like and to continue to shape us in your image. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.